Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. We're privileged to have Mr. Tim Bentz back with us today for another recording, and he was gracious enough to sit down with us for almost a couple hours, so we're actually going to break up this episode into two parts. And so the first part of this interview is basically Tim giving us a, a foundation of how God started working on a relationship with him when he was very young. And I think you'll find in this story as kind of as uh, sensational as some of the parts are, it's not very common for most believers to have this type of experience. And it's, it's pretty unique. Why God chooses to do that with some people and not with others, that's hard to understand. I'm reminded of the verse in 2 Corinthians 12.2 where Paul is speaking, and he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And this is a a very strange verse to understand. What Tim is going to share with us is having similar experiences in the spirit realm. And again, this is not something that most Christians can relate to, and I think it's important also to contrast that with some of the New Age practices regarding astral projection, where a person is tapping into the spirit realm on their own terms, versus doing it God's way and in God's initiation and timing. And so it's not necessarily a practice that we should try to pursue on our own. But I think you'll also hear in Tim's story just how much he uh, was willing to turn his heart over to God and do things God's way. And I think in whatever way that God decided was in his sovereignty that he was going to work uniquely uh, with Tim in his life. I think a lot of it had to do with the yielding uh, to God's Spirit 
that Tim was willing to lay down his agenda and do things God's way. And of course, all things we test with Scripture, and so I think you'll find this uh, first part very fascinating, and we will post the second part uh, the week following. So, enjoy. Well, uh, thanks for joining us again, Tim. We're really, really privileged to have you back. And um, I thought that we didn't do much of an introduction for you last time. So I thought maybe if you want to take a, a minute or two and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of what your your ministry is these days, how would you describe yourself? Like when I, when I heard uh, Dr. Laura Sanger um, mention your story with Rob Skiba, uh, when she was on Blurry Creatures, you know, she called you an intercessor, which I think I think that's a fair assessment. But how would you describe yourself or kind of, you know, what you're up to? I, I tell most people that ask me, I tell everybody that God requires all of us to be intercessors. So, yeah, I think you're either an accuser or an intercessor. you got to choose which one. <laughs> so, but I, I think living a life of prayer is something that, was ingrained in me as a very young child and it's just applied to everything I do. It's not because I see it as a calling. It's just part of what I do. Um, but I, I'm hard to describe sometimes and my, my close friends usually just uh, after they hang out with me a while, they kind of figure out that I'm, I've got some unique ability to be a catalyst. And so I consider it, Sometimes God sends me out as a herald. I go ahead of the crowd. I get I get something that nobody else is talking about or thinking about much, and and I live it out in some small way that's usually hidden. And then when I do start sharing it a little bit, it just kind of like explodes into others, and usually other people and other ministries become quite well known and quite successful for something similar. Uh, I, it took me a long time to kind of understand that I was even having an effect on and what I would see coming out of others, because sometimes that just happens anyway, because God's leading lots of people to do stuff at the same time. But I started realizing that a lot of times the things that I uh, had laid down, given up, um, you know, made as an offering to the Lord, then uh, he didn't take them away from me because he didn't want me to have them. But I just was willing to give up something so that I could have my journey with him. And then I had noticed that, I would be able to uh, really release those in others as, as if, you know, what I could have done for me, I can put on someone else and then they get the benefit of it. And that's been in a lot of things. It's, it's come from, from gifts of the spirit. It's come from just normal blessings, um, birthing businesses or ministries. Um, and <clears throat> so uh, kind of roll that all into one thing. Um, I feel like I've lived my life out twice because as a very young child, I had phenomenal encounters with Jesus, took me into the heavens almost every night. And I I stopped talking about it when I was quite young because I found that most people either didn't believe it or didn't respond or they wanted to have the same thing. And I didn't know how to tell them to have it. I just, <laughs> I just, I just knew how to introduce them to the one that started it in me. <laughs> Right. And, Did you uh, ever write about those experiences? Uh, yes, but I wasn't. I, I felt like I wasn't able to publish it. Um, I've got eighteen books written that I've not published yet. Wow. 
and um, there's a reason for that. I, I think they need to be out there, but it was, uh, I, I met Leonard Ravenhill a long time ago. I don't know if y'all know who he is. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar with him. Yeah. Everyone I know that's had any kind of experience with Leonard Ravenhill was drastically affected by it. He he just had such an ability to um, impart a depth with Jesus and a, a righteousness and holiness. And so uh, he took me into his prayer room a long time ago and when I was ready to f- publish my first book. And, and he prophesied over me that I had a lot of books in me, but that I needed to wait at least 20 years before I published that one. Hmm. And... Um, I asked him why, because I thought it was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he didn't know what the content of the book was, but he said, he just looked at me and says, well, you've got the revelation, but you haven't lived it out yet. He says, if you publish it now, you'll be doing a, a rewrite of it somewhere down the road. And you'll, you'll, you'll wish you had to put some things in that first one. <laughs> and so he said, go, he said, go live it out. Then you can put it out, you know, and uh, but that twenty-year delay. Uh, when I hit that mark, I, I went. I went back to the Lord about that one, and I asked Him if I could release it then, and and got a definite no. And so uh, I asked the Lord why, and and He took it even a step further than Leonard did. He He said, "You need to come up in the heavens and release it, and I, I want you to learn how to engage with me." about revelation and rain it down upon the earth and then don't be offended when i give it to many many people that you, you've lived it out for 20 years but they'll pick it up and preach it and uh i started would you doing... would, would you think that that gifting or would be a kind of a form of intercession where the lord's working that in you and then by you releasing it it's affecting other people I almost kind of see yeah, that as a, as a role of an had, intercessor. I think I had to learn to intercede first because, but I, I wouldn't put it in the same category. Uh, it's what Jesus does as a mediator and certainly he intercedes, but he mediates. And what I would classify it as now is co-creating that we are, uh, he wants us to engage with him about something on his heart and sitting with the King while he's considering making decisions and you're engaging with him and you don't have the wisdom to decide the matter, but he does. Um, but he loves to engage with us about things that are on his heart. So I found that when, when I began to stir uh, the conversation in the heavenly realms, it was very different because my comprehension of his responses was immediate um, things that he would show and, you know, the angelic involvement, the, the way heaven itself uh, administrates things. It was always at a higher level. So uh, a short encounter with Jesus about the topic would do a thousand times more than what something would ha- would do when I would just ponder it behind my desk and sit there on the earth trying to figure something out. And, and if I prayed it out from the earth, I would int- eventually get the same answer, but it would take longer and I would have a, le- a reduced comprehension of it. But when I sat with him in the kingdom and the heavens, uh, I would bring up a topic. He would begin to engage with it and, and it was like an immediate release. And then I would, I would often see where he would finally nod his head or, or say something and say, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and I would get the response that I had been trying to figure out, 
but then he would just release it to anyone else that needed it and was praying for it and fit in their life. And, and I realized that I was taking stuff that I could have and I could become widely known and well respected for. And I was gifting it to the next generation. Um, and what what happened in that is I, I started liking that. I started seeing this is really a pretty good benefit. Like I could be I could be well known if I put this book out myself. But now that 100 people are preaching about it, now I can talk about it. And um, it, it became a it became a joy to do because I realized that when I give something like that, then I get more back. And so it, it took me the reward for it. I think I went deeper into wisdom and deeper into an understanding of God's ways. And uh, the the fruit of what Leonard Ravenhill said, uh, you know, go live it out before you write it out. And uh, I began to realize that's really the standard God's always required. He wants to see fruit before we tell somebody we've got something valuable. And so even though I know everything that comes from him is is worthwhile, I'm seeing a transgression of this right now with lots of people that have um, uh, prophetic or seer gifting. They can go into the heavens and get a revelation, and then they come back out and make a six-tape series out of it. And a year or two later, it's evidential that they don't know very much about what they just published. And so even though it's still valuable because it came from Jesus, the ability to really move into it with power and with evidence and with fruit and with miracles, it's not always there until you've lived it out first. Um, so I, you know, as far as fivefold gifting, um, when I was child, uh, from the time I was 12 up until I was uh, in my thirties, I was often called a prophet and I never really understood that. Uh, lots of people would just put that label on me. I didn't really feel like that was all I was supposed to do. I just felt like um, it was fun to hear something from God and repeat it. Um, But then I moved into quite an evangelistic um, release in my high school days. And I don't really claim to be a five-fold evangelist, but whenever I hang out with one, it sort of turns the switch on, you know. And um, if I'm not around another one that's gifted as an evangelist, I, it's hard for me to do. Um, so I, I found that I was often just sent to the body, and I was I was um, usually defaulting to figuring something out, correcting something, fixing something, or addressing issues in business and ministry that other people didn't like to, to address. And, and so because I had taken this back seat, perspective where I didn't care if I got promoted or if I got, uh, you know, the name of renown. I just wanted to be obedient to Jesus. That allowed me to also benefit from business things where I would often get called in to uh, become privy to a problem that everybody else didn't know. And I would be shown uh, sometimes the insider stuff on a business or, or a ministry, and they'd say, we're having a problem. We need help. We, you know, if this comes out, it could ruin our business or it could ruin our ministry. And I'd be the guy that'd go and help them fix it. And, and then their ministry would take off again or the business would take off, but I wouldn't, I would rarely get credit for it other than just from the people that I knew personally. And, but they would turn around and tell someone else I did that. <laughs> and so, uh, 
I had plenty to do, you know. Word and, word of mouth, right? You know, <laughs> the last thing was like the uh, I vacillated back and forth, but when I was eighteen, I started my first business, and uh, it it was very successful. And then I went into ministry full time five years later, and same thing. That's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. But I only got to do that for about a year and a half, and then God told me, go back home, go back to Oklahoma, and assemble my people. And it, I didn't understand how to assemble his people, so uh, it felt like I got fired. You know, I really felt like I was out here doing what I've dreamed about doing and what I felt called to do, and uh, it was very fruitful everywhere I went. And then all of a sudden, without any pre-warning, God just said, shut down your ministry and go back to Oklahoma. And I really felt like I had missed something. And so for months, I prayed and I, was, I kept saying, Jesus, I feel like Moses. I didn't get to go into the promised land. <laughs> and the reason I felt that way primarily was because I had such a desire for the nations. And I I had gone to 28 states in a year and a half, and then I had six invitations to come to different nations. And those nations were like a, a wide open check, whatever you need, whatever God tells you to do will we'll help you. And, and I just had a phenomenal level of favor. So I went to Jesus saying, which one do you want me to go to first? And my preference was either India or China. And my answer that I got back was, you're not going to go to any of those yet. You're going to shut down your ministry and go back home and assemble my people. You know? And so I felt like um, I didn't know how to label that. I mean, for a lot of years after that, even I didn't know how to label myself in ministry because I felt like God had taken me out of what I was called to do. And I didn't know what I had done wrong or if I'd done anything wrong. Um and I still had those invitations sitting there thinking, Lord, I can't go if you won't let me or if you say no. But why did you give me the thing you told me you wanted to do and then you wouldn't let me uh, grasp it? And and he reminded me of my childhood. So I, I want to this is a little bit of a regress. But I want to go back to how this started. Um, when when I was uh, two, I had my first encounter with Jesus. Uh, he just introduced himself, and we had about a 45-minute conversation. Um, that opened my hearing and made me very sensitive to his presence. Yeah. And <clears throat> then it became a daily conversation where I just engaged with him. I didn't call it prayer, but I was talking to him almost all day long all the time From uh, after that because I just you – know, he was the guy that made me, so I wanted to know everything, you know. And I have this voracious curiosity, so I ask tons and tons of questions like a good two-year-old should. <laughs> and, uh, but then at six years old, I saw Jesus face to face, and that completely radically transformed me. Um, so for an, an average child, that kind of experience uh, is always, you know, earth-shaking. It's just phenomenal. You can't, you're never the same after you see him, you know. And uh, I know young kids that have gotten saved and haven't seen him, and they're quite extraordinary because they really fall in love with Jesus, but they're still a child and they act like a child. And what happened to me is I, I sort of lost my childhood. I had no more desire for all the things that I thought I would do with my life. 
uh, I just sort of wiped the slate clean. I was like, Jesus, I just want you, whatever you want to do. And uh, I really think I, I died to who I was at that moment. And I emerged with this phenomenal zeal and passion for whatever God wanted. <clears throat> and then I began to to engage with him almost daily about different peoples and nations and what are you doing in the earth and who are you saving today? Those were the kinds of questions I would wake up in the morning. I would say, what are you doing today, Jesus? Where are you going? Who's going to see you today? You know, And um, uh, my, my whole train of thinking was completely out of sync with what my normal friends were doing. Uh, I, I found it difficult to function at school. I found it a little difficult to play normally uh, because my my um, spirit, soul, and body was just engaged in the heavens. And so my father picked up on that. He was quite wise, and he noticed that it was a really good thing. But he he didn't want me to. Um, he wanted me to be a little bit earthly good too. So he came up with something very practical. And I kept talking about nations. I kept mentioning that, you know, Jesus was talking to me about people and places. And one day I was going to go to all these places. And so he bought me this big, huge world map. And he's like, if you really want to understand what Jesus is talking to you about, just roll this map up. And when he when he mentions a people group or a nation, you'll be able to see where he's talking about. And he puts something very practical in front of me to help me pinpoint a lot of the conversation. So uh, what happened to me after that is I really became an intercessor in that because um, I found myself every night I would I would eat my um, meal and I would do my homework and then I would run to my room and I'd roll out my map and I would often fall asleep on it talking to Jesus about different places. And his conversation with me was always very engaging about some place on the earth that he was doing something and someone, either someone or some people group that he was engaging with. And I didn't know if it was prophetic or I, I assumed in every conversation that was happening right then, just it was like, he's telling me what he's doing over there. You know, um, I, later, I think a lot of those conversations was he was actually telling me what he was going to do. And it was moves of God that happened in my lifetime were often breaking out in parts of the world that he would talk to me about. And I'd only find out about them later. Um, But every once in a while, something would become extraordinarily clear to me. And it was as if I was there. I would step into this place in the spirit where I wasn't just looking at a map on the floor. I was actually in in another city, in another land, and looking at another people. and uh, usually it seemed like a dream or a vision where I could see them. They couldn't see me. I was talking to Jesus and he was doing stuff, but I was just kind of tagging along. And every once in a while I would ga- engage with a person. And in, in those encounters, I could often speak their language and understand their language, even though I didn't have any clue what it, what it was in the natural. And well, 20 years later, I had a growing list of encounters with people from other places that I met that I recognized. That I was actually seeing real people sometimes. I was engaging with something in the, in the spirit, and then I would meet them later, and I would know who they were. And 
Now that happened in the heavens too. Sometimes in the heavenly realms, I would see somebody and God would speak to me about them or I would engage with them in some way and then I would meet them years later. And so I, I started saying in my 30s that I I'm, I'm already feel like I've lived my life twice. You know, that I was in doing some small engagement with Jesus every night and then it would become uh, something I would get to live out later. And um, <clears throat> just to give you one example, uh, in 1990, I was in um, Manhattan and visiting with my brother, and we were just walking down the streets of Manhattan. We were going to go get a, a meal and then go see a movie together. And a, a couple came running across the street um, with their daughter. They, they all three of them came running across the street calling out my name. And I didn't know who I didn't recognize who they were immediately. They began talking to me in Russian and I had no idea uh, for the moment. It took me a minute to figure out if I'd seen them before, but they knew me by my full name and they were just ecstatic to see me. They were picking me up and hugging me and, and just ecstatic to see me. And my brother's looking at me like who are these people. And uh, so I, I asked them who they were and they spoke in Russian and, and I couldn't understand Russian. So then the young girl, she understood English pretty well. So she says, Timothy, why are you acting like you don't know who we are? And I said, well, because I, I don't recognize who you are. <laughs> so she's like, I don't understand. Like you've been in our house and you've spoken in our church. You know? And I said, well, where is that? And I said, well, we live in Krasnodar <laughs> in Russia. You know, I said, well, I've, I've never been there, but I had a dream about it one time. And when we put two and two together, the night I had the dream, on their end, I actually was there and I spoke in their church and they had a phenomenal, amazing meeting. And then I went to their home for for lunch and then they took me back to the train. And uh, so that experience opened up, just that conversation opened up something where I realized uh, this has probably happened more, but at the time I didn't know the difference between Jesus, when is this real and when it's a dream? Sometimes it seems the same to me. So how would you um, relate that to um, someone that's in the new age that astral projects and actually will use their spirit man to go? So obviously God is equipping you to do something that was done in the Bible, you know, being translated from one place to another place to minister to other people. Do you think you were physically there or was it, was it your spirit? If they're remembering you, I'm assuming they, your they, physical they, body was they, there. Their, their testimony was I was physically there. They engaged with me like I was actually a real person. They didn't have a sense that I was just a spirit. So I think Jesus translated me there. And I, I, I my dad says I fell asleep on the map, and he would sometimes pick me up and put me in bed and tuck me in. I wouldn't even know it. I'd be as fast asleep. And but I think sometimes I just went into a sleep mode and Jesus was still engaged in something and he translated me. Um, now, whether my body disappeared from the room or not, I can't answer. I don't know. Um, I've, I've never had somebody looking at me and say you were here and then you disappeared. But I do know a few people that have experienced that. Well, isn't I, that what Apostle Paul said? He said, well, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure. But this is what I experienced. It seems it's to like be a disconnect when you're the one that's happening to, because it's not always something that I can uh, comprehend at the moment. And I also, 
for a long time, I had no idea how to do that at will. I, I couldn't just say, Jesus, let's go somewhere, and we would go. It was always him instigating it. Where I think it differs differs from the New Age, I, I don't I don't claim to be anywhere close to the New Age. I'm a new believer. I'm new creation reality. They're copying something that God created, and they're trying to do it without him. Um, so that usually violates the rules of the spirit, and they get in trouble at some point. Um, for somebody that's just seeking Jesus, I think there is a massive amount of capability that we've fallen short of because we don't understand how to move in the spirit very well. Yeah. Hmm. And that's something my life has been spent with trying to help people step more into uh, figuring out how we within the world. you got to ask Jesus if he wants you to, and then you also got to figure out, you know, what do I need to do on my end so that you can do that with me? And um, I think it has a lot to do with love and compassion also, because uh, most of the people that claim to be out of body experience, they run into problems when they come back in. Well, you, you obviously, God must've seen something in you, right. To, to be able to, to choose you for that. And I think, like to Luke's question, we we were going to have a guest on a few weeks ago, and we decided against it. Um, he was kind of blending New Age and Christianity, and he was talking about astral projection and different things like that. And he was trying to do it like exposing like human trafficking and things like that, which is very noble. But but it became apparent that he was doing it almost egotistically, like, I'm just going to do this, I'm fighting this fight, there's nothing about gaining God's heart, right, about how to accomplish that. So it was all about him doing it his way. And that's why I'm saying, like, it seems like for you, God recognized you being willing to set aside, you know, your own life and do things his way. Well, uh Thanks for that compliment. I, I think there is a couple of prerequisites if you do it uh, with a level of holiness and righteousness. And one of those prerequisites, I think, is everything in the spiritual realm really operates on a foundation of God's love. Um, so if I don't have compassion and if I don't have the love of God in my heart, they're probably going to either go into the spiritual realm and violate principles or I'm going to mess up something or get messed up by doing that. The other thing is engaging with him, Christ himself. That uh, I think because I was so young with my first encounter with the Lord, I, I learned a protocol that I didn't understand was a necessity. It was just something he told me to do. And it sounded like a good idea when I was six, but, he said, don't ever come into the heavenly realms. When, I, when I've opened your ears and I've opened your eyes, it's like, I don't want you to come into the heavenly realms and just engage with whatever you want or, or look at whatever you want. He said, always call out to me and I'll answer you. And if you find me first, the eyes of the king will direct you to with what I want you to encounter. He said, everything in in that world is so phenomenal if you if you if you look at a flower it, it could consume your uh, thoughts for months you know and so uh, he said, every, 
thing that I've created is in its perfection in that place. So, but if you leave me out of it, you won't comprehend it correctly. So he said, call out to me, I'll answer you. And then I'll either show you what I want you to see and hear and tell you, or I will direct you with my eyes and I'll always be near. I'll always be with you. I, I don't want you to engage without understanding what I'm doing. So that taught me more understanding on, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say that that's why Jesus followed that same protocol himself. What I've noticed in the last, since there's been a bit of an explosion in the acceptance of the prophetic, I think in our lifetime is, it has been an increasing amount of testimonies that I've heard where somebody goes into a very elaborate, detailed um, uh, description of a revelation or an encounter they had in the spirit, but then they don't even mention that Jesus was involved. And and so I'll often ask them, especially a lot of them, my friends, I'll ask them, where was Jesus when you were seeing that or when you were hearing that? And I'll get a blank stare back sometimes like, oh, I don't know. I didn't I didn't see Jesus. And I, it's not, I don't want to correct it very much, but I just encourage them. I said, well, if you went into the, his realm, he was there. But it seems odd to get interested in something more than you're interested in the one that created it. And so I, I think that's also the difference that I've seen. You can swing that pendulum way over to the new age and say, well, that's what they're doing wrong most of the time is they're trying to learn how to engage in the spiritual realm. And it may be possible for some of them, but then they're leaving Jesus out of it, or they're not even trying to have an encounter with God. They're doing it for some personal reason. And, um, you know, it's it's been interesting. I, I'm not sure if you want this on the tape, but <laughs> I, have, I have experienced this a few times um, where I've run into someone that was supposedly well-known for that side of it. Uh -huh. And, uh, for instance, back in late 80s, I met a guy named Robert Monroe. He probably wrote the best book in that era for out-of-body experiences. He was uh, he was training other people how to do it. Uh, he was a radio engineer by training. He had a background in uh, all kinds of electronics and communications. And he had a contract with the CIA and with other um, defense department type stuff, not not because he was doing something nefarious, but because he was trying to figure out if there was something real in the spiritual realm, or if it was just you know dreams and visions and stuff like when we have a dream, is it real or not? And uh, so a lot of the funding for his research wasn't in any way detrimental or wrong. It was just trying to figure out if the spiritual realm was real. And when I met him. Um, a friend of mine introduced us. I didn't know why. I didn't know who he was. I'd never read his book. And then after I started talking to him, I realized the level of research he was doing was, was way off, way on the other side of the, the uh, kind of what I would call left field. I'm, I'm over here trying to do things with Jesus. He was trying to figure out stuff uh, really for natural reasons. And but he seemed like a nice guy, and and so he, he described his encounters and how he he didn't actually try to figure that out. He didn't seek it. He started having out of body experiences, and he didn't know why they were occurring, and they scared the they just scared him horribly at first. And when he finally overcame his fear, they became 
almost a nightly experience. And so that was a similarity that I had that I said, well, it's not the out of body that I experienced, but I did, I did make considerable effort to overcome fear when I was a very young child. And so then I asked him a question. Um, It was a congenial conversation. We weren't trying to impress each other. We were just talking like two people. And uh, I asked him, I said, when you're out there in the ether that you call it, um, you're floating around and, you know, he called it the ether. I call it the spiritual realm. I don't think they're the same things, but he did. And when he said, when he described what it was like to be out of the body, I said, "When, when you're doing that, what do you do with the critters that follow you back home? And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, you know about that? I said, yeah. He said, well, I don't know what to do. I mean, most people that I've trained it, you know, we get four or five years out of them and then they go crazy or they end up on drugs or they can't handle it. And I said, well, it's because you're not engaging with the one that made you. You're trying to engage with a level of creation you don't understand and you're not equipped for it. So I said, here's the prerequisites I've learned. And I'm not an expert. I'm just saying, here's what I've learned. If you don't have love, you shouldn't do it. If you, if, and I mean, lo- not just love for God, but lo- just love for your fellow man. If you're not doing it for a reason that is worth saying, I love this person and I'm going to engage with something. Um, so if you do anything nefarious in the spiritual realm, you you do damage to yourself. I said the second thing is compassion is not the same as love, but if if I see something, my response to it, if it's just scientific inquiry or I'm just trying to figure something out so I can make something out of it or promote something with it or, or become wealthy through it or that kind of motive, it you'll you'll be leaving compassion out. So if if everything you learn in the spiritual realm has nothing to do with um, compassion for your fellow man, you'll end up making decisions for you, and then you'll violate something in the spiritual realm. It's selfish motivation will shut it down, and or you'll figure out how to do it, and then you'll do damage. And I said the third thing is. Uh, you really should have started with the personal encounter with Jesus. And um, because you didn't have that, that's, you know, I said, my assessment, I'm not saying this is a thus I thought, but I told him, I said, I think God created you so you could have that kind of experience, but you didn't introduce yourself to him first. And so somewhere back there, the first few times that happened, did you have any sense that Jesus was there? And he said, he, he admitted, yes, he did. But he said, my whole, his words were, my whole viewpoint of Christianity and, and you know, the stuff I learned when I was in church has drastically changed because I, I see these things. And I told him, I said, mine has too on my view of the world and the universe, but it hasn't on my view of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know? And I said, so anyway, we ended up with no, but, but I left that meeting thinking, wow, he's really messed up and he shouldn't be. You know, he's he's a nice guy. He's he's probably very gifted for the kingdom of God, but he took a wrong turn. And um, I, I tracked a couple of things. I didn't really keep up with it, uh, you know, judiciously, but I tracked a few things. I watched a couple of books and, and publications that came out from him 
you know, four or five years later, and they shut down the, the program that he had that he was funded, and, and a lot of it was because everyone that stepped in and started trying to do that stuff got messed up. I mean, they mentally, spiritually got really messed up and uh, ended up either suicidal or on drugs or demonized, and and no one in the training knew how to cast a demon out. <laughs> so, so do you think that do you think that's you, you mentioned the critters you know do you think it's because they're demons <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what i'm getting at too um so because their motivation and their heart wasn't um father filtered on their motivation to doing all that um yeah it, it, it affected them in a negative way is what you're 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 saying well, uh, I think that there's a lot of interest in uh, world affairs, global affairs, government affairs. Uh, there's a lot of interest in knowing what's going to happen in the future. And God has given that job to for prophetic people, but they don't always do it well and they don't always know what's going on. And, they, and, and you know, if you do it correctly, you can't say something just because you want to. You can only say what God says. Um, but I think that there's a, always a tendency for people to end up transgressing or defiling the something that God has made holy. And so the only the only way you don't do that is by holding fast to him and letting him lead you and guide you. And that, that's why I think Jesus says a ph phenomenal amount of wisdom in that statement. He only did what he saw his father do. Well, the discipline to learn that is immense, you know, because when when you're fascinated and curious and you see something you've never seen, you want to you want to explore it. And uh, if you hear something and you're not sure what you think you heard it, but you really don't know what it means, that's very dangerous. That's information that, like, if I if you tell me the sun is not really on fire, it's really something we've never seen. And, and you could convince me of that. Uh, that's interesting information. But if, if I just assume that's correct because I gazed at it and thought, maybe you're right, then I'm going to teach everything wrong from then on. And so one, one of the things that's happening right now is we have not refined very well the gifts of the spirit that God has given us to the body of Christ. Uh, we use them and we we try to exercise them, but often the motive is for self-promotion or self-gain. And, and God is very patient with us. He knows we're kind of kindergartners that haven't graduated from kindergarten yet. We're just learning how to tie our shoes. But, but we think that we've been doing this for 20 years, so we're the expert at you know, the prophetic realm. And uh, I I just think be, you humble yourself and, you know, kind of laugh some things off. But if you make a mistake, get up and tell Jesus, you know, I shouldn't have done that and help me get out of that. But at the same time, we should be zealous to explore and to engage with God and not be afraid of the spiritual realm. But we also should be very wise in how we engage with it and with him. And uh, so. My my whole life has not really been about doing all this stuff correctly. It's been about learning how to do it correctly and uh, trying to just stay humble along the way so that can't say this, that does say the Lord, but I do believe that Jesus engages on some, some spiritual level with every child that's born.
And we probably take it out of them by the time they're six years old. When I say we, I mean society in general, but I think the church is just as guilty of that as the community is because uh, let, let me let me preface why I'm saying that because when I was six and I saw Jesus, the first place I testified about it was at the kitchen table with my mother, my father, and my brother. My brother was two years older than me. My father was a pastor and a theologian. My mother was a very saintly, wonderful praying woman. But none of the three of them had had that encounter either. So here's the youngest guy at the table telling everyone else, I saw Jesus last night. He's talked to me all night long. And I'm so ecstatically, you know, just it was just like the most amazing thing to experience. So I'm sharing that with passion and joy and zeal. And then I see my father's face. As a Baptist pastor, he had never had that encounter before. He was taught in theology school that they did that things didn't happen anymore. Right. Cessationism. Yeah. And. You know, his he, he. I don't know that he really believed that, but that's what he was taught, and uh, he loved the Word of God so much that it bothered him that these things weren't happening anymore. But he believed they weren't, and now he's got a son that's sitting there saying, "Well, I saw Jesus, and I described what he looked like, and and his face and his eyes were." I mean, when I began talking about his eyes, I was shaking the room because you you can't hardly put them into words. They're so beautiful. And they looked through you, and I and I, I sat there with tears streaming down my face, saying, "He loves like he's got a level of love I've never known before." You know, and that kind of passion's coming out the table. And here's my father with his theological brain and his love for the Word of God, trying to balance those two things out. Right. And his face suddenly showed on his countenance that I want to believe you, son, but I don't. I, I'm. I, it's hard. He didn't have a paradigm <laughs> and, for it, right? Right. So I stopped and I said, are you like, Dad, are you okay?" And he's like, I've never seen anything like that before. And he said, I've never heard Jesus speak to me the way you're hearing him speak to you. And his next words could have gone completely off the charts for me and, and, and ruined the rest of my life. Instead, he caught himself and he said one of the most phenomenal things that I've ever heard. He looked me right in the eye and he said, I do know Jesus. I have faith. I believe that he's my Lord and Savior, and I believe the word of God. He said, but Timothy, I've never experienced what you're talking about right now. He said, however, from now on, no matter what Jesus shows you, Always ask for more. And no no matter what he says to you, always go deeper. And the word of God is alive. Go deep into it as much as he'll allow you. And those words launched me into the heavens. They validated what God was trying to do with me. And they, they they made me feel at peace that even if I go beyond my own father's experience, he... He's blessed it. You know? And uh, years later, my dad got filled with the Holy Spirit and had some amazing encounters before he died. But 
later we we talked about that moment and, and he realized he said i could have taken from you at that moment this this glorious journey that god was opening up to you tim I, I i i'm loving this subject but i i just since you talked touched on that really quick can you explain to us from what it says in the scripture when you confess with your mouth and you become born again what do you feel like is happening? Because a lot of people feel like, well, that's when I get filled with the Holy Spirit is yeah. when I have the born again experience. But as we know from the book of Acts, those were believers. They were, they tarried there for a greater um, endowment of power of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they had, they were already born again, but then they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that empowered them. So can you kind of unpack that a little bit, how a lot of people feel like, well, I already have the gift of the Holy Spirit because I'm, I'm saved, I'm born again, but maybe there's, it's just greater dimensions of it. There's more to receive. Is that how you would look at it? Um, I, I look at it as I think that in order to be saved, the Holy Spirit has to be engaging with you. Uh, he, he's the enabler that helps us to comprehend that God exists and that he wants to know us. And that he, he, he sort of is the package that the grace comes in uh, to introduce you to Jesus. But that's not being filled with the Spirit. That's being enabled by the Spirit. It's grace. You know, he, he's sent from God to bring me grace, and he pours that grace on me, and then I believe. I, uh, it makes the truth of what God said come alive in my But I don't believe that's the same as being filled in the same sense that I can have uh, water coming out of my faucet and I can have an empty glass in my hand. So when he enables me to receive Jesus and he comes into my life, I, I, I think the Holy Spirit has to be engaged in that. But I don't think that's the same as being filled because I haven't given myself as an offering to God. I've received what he has. I've not given him me. And in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I have to empty something out. So I need to first pour me out and then ask him to come in. And so the idea, the word baptism is to be fully immersed. That I, I think I get uh, um, brought to the river when I get saved, but I've got to jump in, you know, and uh, I need to be fully immersed. And there's so the, the, the question of being filled with the spirit or receiving the spirit, I, I do think that in the Old Testament, there's a, a few scriptures that says the spirit came upon them and they prophesied or they had some kind of an encounter. I think that's the same thing that happens to us when we get saved is the spirit comes upon us and he enables us to receive something that God is showing us. And so we, we believe we have faith rises up. And I actually believe that that's not even our faith. I think the faith is that to believe is, is a gift from God also. And you can believe later, you can, it, you can activate your faith, but I don't think my faith saves me. I think his faith saves me. I just have to say yes and receive it. But then when I jump in, um, if if I'm going to give back to him everything that he's giving to me, then I'm going to ask for the full measure. I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and fire because he was also. You know? So Jesus didn't, you know, 
walk around just as a teacher. He walked around full of the spirit all the time. And so I don't want anything less than that he thought was necessary. Um, but I also think that in the same way that I have to drink when I'm thirsty, we have to stay full. So when I studied the ancient Greek, uh, I couldn't quite see this, but when I read it in the ancient Aramaic and the ancient Hebrew, the word be filled with the spirit actually means it actually should be said be being filled, be constantly in motion to receive as uh, as much as necessary, as much as you can hold. And why he has to be so much, you're always going to be spilling over. You can't hold it all. You know, but it, we, we, we make two mistakes, I think. One, we think we've got it because we got a tiny bit. And two, if we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, then we don't sit before the Lord every day to get filled again. You know? And so we start using our gifts and we walk a little ways down the road and we, we pour a little bit of good stuff out. And then we do a few other things that are carnal. And then pretty soon we're not filled anymore, but we still have it. We still have the, the anointing. We just... He doesn't take it away, but it's not the same as being overflowing either. Tim, I, I, um, before we before we kind of move on, because I, I I do want to get to the kind of the gatekeeping principle. But thank you for sharing all of that, and I I think it's one one question or two that I did have though is what would you say? Well, maybe it's a two part question. Um, first, how would you help? others to distinguish maybe how how have you been able to or how would you help others to distinguish between what might be like counterfeit uh experiences in the spiritual realm counterfeit jesus that kind of thing how how to distinguish and i know we touched on like you know if it's selfish or you're initiating it but what would you what advice would you give there and then the second part would be you know, kind of to your, your story at the table there when you were six, um, because there's a lot of people that may never experience some of the things you're talking about, either because of unbelief. I think that that probably limits God, but also, you know, they've asked for it. They've asked for God to speak to them and it never happens. And so how, how do we deal with kind of, kind of that where, Maybe they aren't chosen to receive that type of those type of experiences, but even though they want them, so how do you speak to them? Well, I I got three responses when I was younger. One was unbelief. Uh, somebody would almost instantly say, you know, cross their hands and look at me and shake their head like they didn't believe a word I was saying, and that would be greatly. The the other response I would get would be the opposite: It'd be somebody that would be extraordinarily joyful and ecstatic and just you know listening to every word and then they would say they wanted that and i didn't always know how to give them that other than to just tell them what i experienced and i'd say ask jesus that the third response i would get would be kind of a question mark like i'm not i'm not you know disbelieving but i'm not sure what to do with this because um we tend to try to reason things out instead of just accept something in the word and usually that person would, that kind of person would go back to the word of God and try to search something out to figure out why is Tim doing this and not me. And uh, I, for a long time, wanted people to have the same experience I did. And, and I think that, that 
when we're testifying correctly about something that God did, it should have that in it. It should have an impartation for others to experience it too. The word testimony means do it again. Um, so when I'm saying something to somebody else and they receive that, uh, God wants to do it again. So I, I absolutely love your question because that's been my life goal. It's like, okay, God, help me figure this out so I can understand the experience I had, but also I want to give it away. I want everybody to have this. Um, but along the way, I did learn a couple of things that sort of balanced it out. Uh, one, not everybody is gifted the same way by design. So God wants you to um, apply the word of God to your design. Yeah. So not everybody is born to be a seer or born to be a prophet or born to be an apostle or, or, or even a preacher. But whatever you were created to do, his power and his word is going to enable you to do it with excellence and with, with joy. Yeah. And I can't do what you're enabled to do unless that's part of my my equipping. So there are some things that I can say this is for everybody. And then there are other things that you you've got to have a certain gift that enables you to 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 deal with that, you know. And um, so I I think it's a perfect thing to ask. Everybody has the right to ask for something they don't have, and God loves that. Even if He says no, uh, He doesn't want to withhold any good thing from us. But but He's not going to give you something that will ruin you either. And so. There are a lot of people that are very gifted with like a gift of mercy, for instance, and they may not have a prophetic uh, ounce of, of DNA in their spirit at all. Well, I need mercy as much as I need to see the next uh, revelation from heaven. Yeah. So when we understand our own design, then it becomes easier to say, let me have everything God wants for me. And if I hear somebody else's testimony and it's different from mine, I can receive it with joy. And I've got a right to say, God, would you do that with me? Um, but I think a lot of people want those things again for the wrong reasons. And God sometimes withholds them from them, not because he wants to, but because he's going to deal with their heart first. So when I look back on my own journey, I realized that the only thing that I have that's an advantage over everyone else I know is he he got me when I was so young, I didn't make a lot of bad decisions first. And he enabled me to have a, a, a heart for him that was just off the charts compared to what I would have been if he had not introduced himself to me that way. and. Later, when I was in my young 30s, I asked Jesus if he would show me my heart. I wanted to know if I was really in, in good standing with him or not, even though I had lots of people that credited me for a lot of good stuff. I wanted to know what he what he thought about the real condition of my heart. And he answered me very oddly at first. He said, I'm going to show you that on two levels. He said, uh, one, I'm going to show you where you are right now with me. And then I'm going to open your eyes and I'm going to let you see also what you would have been if you had said yes to me when you were a child. And um, the first the first thing I saw was was. Uh, dozens of things that I was not doing right, that I was falling short of his glory 
uh, areas of my heart that I had not fully turned over to him that I didn't understand because I thought I had had done all that. And he, he showed me where I was falling short and it was unsettling, but it was really good to see it because then I could deal with it. It wasn't sin. It was things that I had not done, but I was I was still not um, fully letting him have that part of my heart. And um, the second thing, when he opened my eyes, he said, here's what you would look like right now if I hadn't have introduced myself to you. And that one undid me for three months. I was weeping and undone for three months of my life. I couldn't function hardly at all because I, I looked at the wickedest man on the face of the earth. And I realized, that must be what happened to Paul when he said that, you know, he was chief of sinners. He, yeah, he he identified himself that way. Uh, I think he had gotten a glimpse of his heart without Jesus. And uh, and then the Lord answered me very after the at the end of that 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 three months of weeping. He said he, he came and rescued me. He's like, you need to stop. You you need to understand this is this is not you anymore. That's your own old creation that person is not alive anymore and uh, you're never going to go back to that however you need to understand that i don't want people to judge you by the outer appearance about what they hear i I judge it by the fruit and so um, just because you have many commendable things now uh, you always remember it's because of me that's because of what i've done for you and you didn't you didn't accomplish anything with your own power and uh, I, I find it humble <laughs> Listening to the Days of Noah podcast. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Come back again next week where we will post the second half of Tim Benz's interview. Again, if you're not familiar with more of Tim's background, be sure to check out his fascinating interview with Rob Skiba, where he talks about dealing with ancient Canaanite altars at the birthplace of the Federal Reserve in Jekyll Island. And several of our episodes, we've talked about that. So thanks again for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Send us an email if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for the show at thedaysofnoahpodcast at gmail.com. Take care. God bless. God bless.